Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of having a topic that's so good, we decide to reboot the topic and do it again. Second verse, same as the first. Call this the director's cut. That's right. Last, um, uh, on an earlier um, episode, we talked about uh, high-tech survival in hostile environments, and... Jonathan was, you know, basically he broke down how we needed, what we needed to consider. You know, the need air, we need, you know, uh, food, we need water, we need shelter, we need, you know, all these different things. And he broke all that down and we talked about that. And we talked about some of the solutions to do it. All right. But what I really wanted to do with that topic was talk about all the cool things you could use to give you the solutions you need for all those things to provide all those things that you need, all those wants and needs. So we're doing this again, except we're going to be talking about really high tech solutions. And so we want you to just open, you know, and we will be repeating some of the stuff that we talked about in the last episode that was used as examples, but we're really going to try to push the envelope so that you can get, so you can bring the awesome to your table. Uh, we're going to do, uh, it is going to be multi-genre. So, you know, there's, uh, you know, magic is allowable, uh, as well as psionics and biotech and everything, but probably time travel, <laughs> you know, because that I, I, I haven't thought about it anyway. So, uh, so that's what we're going to do. So, um, the very first question I want to bring up, talk about, when we talk about surviving, uh, in, you know, in a, uh, in a hostile environment, what the very first question you have to ask yourself is, am I trying to be covert or not? Okay, because if you are trying to be covert, then a lot of the equipment that you might otherwise be using, you're not going to use because it's going to draw attention to you. All right. You know, unless you can come up with some kind of high tech solution to prevent that. Now, if you don't care whether you're high tech or not, you know, you're on a barren planet, you're, uh, you know, you're back in time, uh, and the only thing they'll be offended are dinosaurs, okay? Or if you really would like to attract the attention of the surrounding people, you know, because that way you don't have to go to them, they come to you. Totally different possibilities here, all right? So if you are trying to be covert, okay, and you want to make a base, what, you know, how do you, how do you make a base? That's going to be, not only is it going to be covert, but the construction of the base is going to be covert. Usually, I would think if you're trying to be covert, you're going to use natural materials. You don't want, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to have something made of polished metal, all that. You're going to be doing, oh God, it, it's the same concept as a ghillie suit, where uh, if you don't know what that is, folks, it's sort of this bodysuit you wear and it's got fronds on it that make it look like, and it's all like dark greens and all that. And it, you kind of look like a walking bush. If you have something like that, which will give the illusion from far away, oh, that's just undergrowth or a bush, or it's a mound of, what is the term? Detritus, you know, yeah. like rotting vegetation, leaves, whatnot. If you have something to make you, whatever shelter you have look like mm -hmm. that, that'll work where you're, you're out there camping, you have shelter and you have cover and you're not going to be seen as having a tent or a pop-up shelter like it when the Empire Strikes Back that Han Solo made for Luke. You know, okay. things like that. It'll blend in. All right. Well, how are you going to pr uh, produce those, those natural uh, materials, you know, I mean, in a covert fashion? Usually it'd just be like gathering it together throughout the forest. I mean, even if it's just, oh, what do they call it? A lean-to, where it's made okay. with sticks and, you know, like bigger sticks, and then you've got like branches, and then over the branches you throw 
the leaves, the twigs, and other stuff. And okay, uh, let me make a suggestion here. D and D warp wood. Okay, uh, there's other types of things where you basically can control plant growth and you can actually make it interweave itself into some kind of an enclosure for your your wherever you're going to be. And so you have living plants that are made of those natural materials. And usually you can involve accelerated growth in, in, in the equation and get it done before anybody might notice it. Now, if it is really, you know, if it's if it looks totally unnatural, you know, then that would be a problem. But usually you can also like, you know, take the local equivalent of kudzu and have it grow all over it. And then there you got your camouflage. Yeah, I mean, even with the, the like thick vines, as long as you've got the frame of a wall, the vines can grow up and be your wall, and no one's going to think it's any different than growing over a, a big boulder or something. Right, and and if you decide you do want to like make buildings out of like like a log cabin kind of structure or something like that, I highly recommend lightsabers as as your means of cutting it down instead of circular saw blades. Those seem to just chop through things in like record time. And most of you hear is a sizzling sound and then the tree falls down. Yeah, or any kind of like monomolecular blade. Ah, yes. Monofilament. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. anything that can cut through pretty much anything. Right, well, yeah. Hopefully not you. Well, if you don't know how to use it. Whenever they say monomolecular filaments and stuff like that, you always get this impression that there's literally no tuggage involved you just pass it like like you're taking it through air except anything in between gets cut and that's great if that's true but if there is any amount of springiness to it okay then you gotta be really careful with those because you can really lacerate the hell out of yourself now one of the things you can do to try to make this a little bit better okay is use active sound suppression okay uh you can uh, you can essentially put you know, speakers around the area. And and what they do is, is that if you're using any kind of repetitive sound, like the sound of a saw blade, the sound of a lightsaber, the sound of um, an engine that's, you know, that's running like, you know, uh, pistons and steam and things like that, you know, they have regular sound that can be recorded and then the sound is transposed the reverse played out and essentially the end result is it damps the sound down it fills out the sine wave yeah so you end up with no uh, you know uh, 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 you end up you end up with no sound theoretically you know if you could just knock it down to the point where they can't hear you more than 100 feet away you're doing well okay oh so, heck that's just a silence spell then if we're using magic oh, yeah. just cast Absolutely. like a 20 foot radius i think is what it is or twenty, I mean, depending upon yeah. your system, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, yeah, in D D, it's twenty foot across, you know, and in um, in in various systems I've used, it can be hundreds of feet across. So, yeah, of course, the downside of that is that now you can't hear each other. You're 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 doing sign language, you're typing stuff on a key, on your on your wrist keyboard or whatever, you know. So, so you're basically texting everything to each other now. Really bad when the person gets hurt, you didn't hear the accident. <laughs> yeah but, but like i said this these if you set this thing so it only really affects uh regular sound then someone talking probably would would fall outside of that and you'd still be able to hear them so it's let's say uh that's why i was going for like sound suppression rather than a silent spell which literally cuts off all sound but yeah actually i want to i want to clarify one thing though i think you could have it uh a system a sound suppression system that could also reduce your uh less regular sounds if the speakers are say at your perimeter and they are tied into a really powerful processor and you have microphones like in the center of your area so that if you have it set up in such a way that the a, a microphone can pick up your non-rhythmic noises nearby quickly process the uh the reverse and get it to the speakers in time for it to match the the sine wave, then you might be able to do that. But right, well, sound travels about eleven hundred feet per second. So there's actually, t- I mean, computer systems can process yeah. faster than that. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's so possible, it is possible. Yeah, you, you, yeah. You, it requires a little bit more than just 
a, 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 a little bit smarter than the, the dumber system that you would could use for just rhythmic sounds. But at the same time, okay. you could also whisper. Uh, another, yeah, another way of doing, you know, of doing this sort of thing, by the way, is to go someplace where it's noisy. Mm. Uh, set up your base next to a cataract. Or waterfall. Okay. I mean, down in the lower levels, you're probably going to have people fishing and stuff. But some of those mountainous cataracts, those are really noisy and no one would ever hear you. Yeah. 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 So uh, now me. I, I like to, you know, I, you know me, I like to go like way over the top, right? I say, build your base in orbit, okay? Get it all done the right way, all the things you want, and then lower it into the atmosphere and land it where you want it to be. Then all you have to do is make sure that nobody can see you coming in. Now, if you, you know, you know, once you get to a certain height, then you put out like, you know, uh, either a uh, dirigible, that will lighter the air. You can use hydrogen, not helium, because frankly, you know, if you're especially if you're going to throw it away, all right, you know, you want to definitely wait till you get cool enough that it's not going to ignite the hydrogen. But anyways, you know, you you everything is going to be sky colored. So you know, when you get to you look up in the sky, and the other or the other thing is to produce a massive amount of vapor so that you have essentially a big cloud around you. Okay, uh, those those things are penetrable by lidar and other types of, uh, of radar sonar type things. So even though you might be invisible visually and even to infrared, it doesn't mean you can't see the ground below you and then track on down. Combine that with drones that are flying below you as you descend and uh, show you actual like you know with cameras that can now see, you know, uh, so you can see in real time in the, uh, in, in the visual spectrum you're used to. So you, you can basically take this thing, and it can be massive, depending upon really how big you want it to be, the materials it's made out of, and just lower it down and land it. And I'm not even talking about anti-gravity. Of course, if you have anti-gravity, this makes it even simpler. You just take it down and land it. It's simple, easy peasy, right? So if you want to be covert, the best way of, of doing your base is to do it in orbit. Yeah. If, if you have that option, then yeah, I would definitely say you're, no one's going to, I mean, unless you're, you're coming down yeah. on a, on a world with, again, like a, you know, I'd say modern day technology or better. Yeah. You're, right. you're, you're invisible. <laughs> well, another option is to build an aerial base. Okay. You know, I mean, I, I, uh, I was still going with the idea of a land based base, but you can have, I mean, aerial bases are great. I mean, you know, unless you're in a high, t- you're in a high tech world where they have things like airplanes and dirigibles, and and even those have usually a ceiling that they can only get up to, and you can probably get higher. You can build that up. First edition D and D had explicit rules on how to make a cloud castle. Okay, first step: summon an air elemental, elder air elemental. The air elemental, it says, is down with the idea of building a cloud castle. Likes it from the start. Don't even have to convince it. Just have to give it a nice little, you know, whatever it wants, you know, to to make it happy. Okay, but, and then you use, uh, you floor it, okay, with, uh, and it it basically, you know, will make the cloud. It'll stay together and provide the, the sufficient amount of lift to keep it at the altitude that you want it at. Then you go and use the spell. Uh, and of course, this all requires permanencies. Uh, wall of force, which apparently can be laid flat. All right, you know. Yeah. And you can lay this in the grid and basically cover the whole thing. Which also you can look through, by the way. So if you want to just look through your cloud, if your cloud has holes in it, depending, you know, this is all done in negotiation with the air elemental, of course. You know, you now have. You know, and then you can build castles on top of that using normal building materials like stone, wood, steel, you know, vibranium, whatever you got. Okay. And from that point on, everybody below sees a cloud floating around, you know, and if they hear any noise, well, it's up there in the sky. And who can say what that is? You know, maybe gods are uh, playing some bowling up there. Who knows? You know, so a cloud castle is probably one of the best things and you know nothing in the description of that said how does it move around laterally but i always figured that what you do is you'd set up 
a whole series around the, 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 the sides or the corners or whatever of these basically 10 foot by 10 foot square boxes. And you put a, a wind spell, which can be, which is also one of the spells in first edition that can be made permanent. Okay. And it blows in from the outside in to the box and therefore provides force against the box and the cloud castle. And then you just basically through a number of pulleys and such veins or whatever you want to do is you just steer the thing around where you want it to be. And if you decide, okay, I'm done. You just close the door. You have these doors that close on each of the boxes, the winds inside, but now there's no air movement. It's inside of a closed area and it just can't blow. So you don't, it, it's, you're now just floating. So you know, that one of the, you know, I've never seen anybody in any of my games do this, but it's always been available on worlds where they have magic. If, you know, if they, if you can find out how to do it in, well enough through the magic, the version of magic that exists on that particular world. So of course, if you want to go away from magic, certainly, you know, giant dirigibles uh, made out of uh, uh, scrith, whatever the, uh, the material that they used in Ringworld or, uh, you know, Bucky tube layers, you can make, you know, uh, giant dirigibles. Okay. And if you can make your dirigible out of a material that's rigid enough, okay, then you, you can evacuate the entire, you don't put a lighter than air material inside, you evacuate all the air out of it. Okay. And it's vacuum inside. Okay, the reason for that is because all materials, all air, whatever, has weight. You know, uh, you know, hydrogen, helium, whatever you decide you want to use, they all have weight, but vacuum has no weight. Therefore, you're getting 14 pounds per square inch cross-sectional horizontal surface underneath this dirigible of lift. That's a lot of weight you could lift yeah, like nothing that. Nothing is less dense than vacuum. So, yeah. Right. And so, therefore, you're going to get the full force. Now, of course, the higher you go, the less dense the air is, the less lift you're going to have. There's been a number of materials that have been listed in in various games. Liftwood. Um, some people have talked about making uh, a what? Uh, oh, uh, the puppeteers in uh, the Known Space series. Uh, you find out that the um, that the puppeteers' hulls for their ships, the ones they guarantee will never fail. Okay, because they never fail, except in one story where they did, and they had to pay it out on it. Turns out, spoilers if you guys haven't read it, okay, they're made out of a single molecule. So you have a a starship that could be the size of a building, and its, its hull is made out of a single molecule. Well, I think that would work in these conditions. You know, they basically somehow you know, form the molecules so it has holes in it so they can build stuff inside and they put star drives and other things like that. But I'm just saying you could make it so that it was completely contained as a big giant soap bubble, one molecule thick, yet uh, so rigid that you could hit it with, you know, uh, an, an orbital strike and it's fine. I mean, they literally did this in the Ring World series. They ran into stuff that should have killed everybody and the, the the ship crashed okay but the hull was fine so if you have that material available to you it's even in the technology of their day it's even better than script uh which is the material the ring world was made out of which is super super strong because if you make a ring that's millions and millions of miles wide the tension on that ring is is just beyond comprehension yeah, i remember i remember reading oh, yeah. in there like Describing it as a molecular alchemy yeah. and, and stuff like that. Right. So, uh, yeah, basically you're getting inside your own, uh, you know, nuclei in this case. Strong nuclear forces are holding this thing together rather than simple things like covalent bonds that you have in normal stuff. But anyway, so that's another material, okay? Uh, g- going back to magic type things, uh, no one's ever explained to me how, how strong adamantite is. Could it be strong enough to do this? Maybe. You know, I'm not. I'm not saying. <laughs> you, the the players and the GM, can work that out. But it's a material that's supposed to be, you know, next to impossible to break. Marvel Universe. You've got 
oh shoot the the stuff. vibranium vibranium which is uh, and of course it's called adamantium uh, in the dc universe same stuff really okay so you have all this so either by a, a simulating a, a lighter than air base this is floating in and you just use uh whatever you decide to use for propulsion to keep it where you want it to be or you use anti-gravity to keep it where you want it, to keep it up in the air, and, and likewise, or you can use magic with the help of friendly air elementals or other type beings from the plane of air. Yeah. There is something else you mentioned: a type of wood. It is in the oh, Everwood. Yeah, yeah. In Everon, they call it sore wood. It's in the abundant forests of Aranal, the Elven nation next to Corvair. Uh-huh. Uh, possesses a magical buoyancy. Ships made from sorwood skim effortlessly over the surface of the water. It is a necessary component of the airships and elemental galleons manufactured by houses Orion and Caneth. Okay. Speed is double, cost four times normal. Yeah, it's weighs 75% as much as normal wood. Yeah, so that's another thing. The, the magical wood, I was trying to remember, and I'm looking it up on wikis and stuff just now, and yeah, sorwood is what that's called. Okay. Uh, I was thinking of the material that is from Space 1999. No, wait. 1899. 1899. Thank you. <laughs> Where that they, they made their ships out of so they could fly from the Earth to Mars. They were flying ships. Yeah. So, uh, And I didn't even mention Inotron, which is the material that the Buck Rogers jetpacks were made out of that fall away from gravity, the center of gravity. So you 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 basically have, and it's a dense material. So uh, so you a backpack full of this stuff is about the size of a regular backpack, but it, it it can lower your weight down to a few ounces. At which point, then you can make these prodigious three hundred foot jumps. Mostly, what's slowing you down at that point is uh, is wind resistance. But Lord help you if you run into anything, because now you weigh double because you have the mass of the backpack plus your own mass slamming into something hmm. because and, and of course you know when you jump like this you're jumping and you can speed up your jumps it's based upon your ability to to bounce essentially come down and jump and keep going so uh and if you have something like the there, there's these things like grasshopper legs uh it's a, a thing that that's extreme sports people use is basically they bounce up and down on and uh, they're 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 built like like a spring you could land and spring out land you know you add that to your repertoire of your of your boots your shoes that you're using and uh to help give you a little bit more control so you could go even faster than that of course once you actually have jets on your jetpack then of course you could travel as fast as you deem want to do so all you know, so that material uh, would be very easy. You know, once once you have a means of producing it, and it was produced electrically in the book. Essentially, it, it, it was like a, a form of electrolysis. You know, they literally made the material out of other materials. You know, um, like a cathode ray tube, except they accumulated this 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 element in in Ultron, and then they collected it and they packaged it, and it literally was like like clay you could if you if you was too if you got like it was too much you, was, you know you're over uh a compensate because you got rid of equipment or things like that you were gonna float up into the sky you could just take a knife out and cut a piece of it off and and that would go flying up into the stratosphere and and then you'd be the the remainder of the of the lift so you know uh because uh, that happened a couple times in the stories where people you know they they jumped out of a starship in space and they were trying to go down using, you know, basically using the Inotron as a parachute. But they got down to a certain level and they started bouncing back up again because now they had more lift than than they needed. So they started chopping off uh, bits of the Inotron uh, so they could continue on down. So that's available too to keep to keep your fly you know your flying base going. And again, these are all covert because they don't make noise. All right, you know, if you wanted to go non-covert, well, then you've got, you know, you got basically uh, the the uh, Marvel uh, heli, heli 
carriers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those things must be the, I mean, those must be enormously noisy. I don't know how nobody doesn't know where they are. (laughs) They stay out in the middle of the ocean. I I guess because optical camouflage doesn't keep, I mean, the amount of noise that all those engines must make, okay? You could pick up that sound wave on radar. But of course, it's it's a it's a comic book sh- movie, so we don't worry about things like that. Yeah, they'll do things like, oh, when we say vanish, it's also uh, audio mufflers. Which I'm thinking, the energy you would need to muffle all that noise by canceling it out, like you know, make you know, filling in the sine wave, that would be so energy prohibitive. You'd have to throw comic book physics into it and hand waving just to get rid of that. It's like. How do you not hear that? It, it just kind of let it go. Yeah. Just All right. Well, let, let's yeah. let's you know move on. Um, well, out, except for one thing, which is to say that you know you've got the ability with three D printers to go ahead and print basically uh, 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 print or spray you know paint you know coverings on metal and and uh, masonry and things like that to make them look like natural materials. Yeah. Yeah. You literally could have this big device that runs across a wall and paints a landscape on the wall. We have those now, but you know they're done more for you know they're they're done to put stylized patterning and stuff like that. But I'm just saying, if we're talking more high tech, it it could literally you know take a picture of the area you're putting your base and then paint the area just like a super ghillie suit. Just paint each section of the wall to match what they would have seen if the base wasn't there. Assuming you don't have any major changes in, in elevation, yeah, that would definitely uh, work. Yeah. If if they're coming from a flat level on the same level as the building. Well, you're not going to want your base on the top of a hill if you want this to work. No, no. It's no. going to have to be down somewhat down the hill so that when they look up, they would still see the hill. Yeah. And maybe, and, and like I said, if you have a high enough tech, maybe you have like some kind of a crystalline material that actually has a different view depending upon, you know, which angle you're looking at. You know, they have like, just like you've got um, those holograms where you look to the left or the right and the hologram changes. Oh, you just reminded me of what uh, the invisible shields that are they're showing up, I've seen on Kickstarter lately, which is just plastic sheets of plastic with the uh, with the with the rid ridges cut into them in just the right way that it diffuses all the light coming from behind it into being kind of just one big blob so like if you set it down in front of you and you're in a natural area you, it looks like just natural wood behind you it's it's kind of blurry but you do not see a person hiding behind the shield you just see browns and greens right I, I, I've seen some of those YouTube uh, um, uh, demonstrations of that. It's pretty, it's pretty yeah. cool stuff. Yeah, and we're not even talking about you know doing stuff like uh, uh, doing stuff like utility fogs. Okay, and for those of you who don't know what a utility fog is, it's essentially a bunch of little microprocessors. Okay, that are connected to each other with extendable legs, and we're talking nano level here. All right. Yeah. And they're all basically in communication with each other. So we're talking about a lot of processing power. It's a technology that does not exist today because there would be so much heat produced by it. But if you were able to build computers and computer chips that basically didn't have to have their memory constantly refreshed, which is the way ours are now, okay, that they basically held the same state until they were changed, then this would be an enormous drop in temperature. Okay, it could even be, you know, you know, lower, you know, uh, room temperature, passive, you wouldn't even know it. But the point here is, is it's just they're connected to each other. If they extend, you know, their little legs out, and we're only talking about a couple of nanometers, but there's so many of them that the one on the end, if a billion of them basically all stretch out a nanometer at a time, that one moves a lot. So it's basically stretches in and out and turns and re- changes and stuff like that. And uh, it's designed so that people can walk through it and it'll just basically re- reconnect itself up if they do that. Unless, of course, they're trying not to let that happen. Then it depends on the material you made them out of. So you have these things. They're all in communication with each other. They also have the ability to emit light if they, you know, if they want to. 
So now you have a full 3D tank that could be whatever size you make the utility fog to be. And your base basically disappears because now you have something that looks entirely realistic, except when someone walks into it, they realize that the tree they thought was there isn't really there. Unless, of course, you choose to have the nanofog simulate the tree, in which case you feels like there's a tree there. You can do certain things. You know, it can be it can really fool you. And, you know, this is super, super high tech stuff, but it's been written about quite a bit over the years and we've talked about it on this podcast a number of times but uh the utility fog are you know it's called utility fog because at a distance it looks uh you it up close you can't see it but in a distance when you're seeing all the layers and layers out it's all spread out it looks like there's a haziness around the objects that are there you know and it's just basically you're seeing enough of these things are stacked on top of each other that they actually start start occulting light a little bit okay is they're not actively trying to simulate the air the, the the light around them in which case they turn invisible again so if you have a utility fog you basically can totally cover everything you can do the active sound suppression basically there's almost nothing you can do conceivably it just depends on what level of tech your gm and, and players decide to have in their campaign so, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of the ultimate uh, VR without actually, you know, being plugged into VR kind of situation. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can lift things. It can, you, you can make them out. And basically, you can, share, you can simulate chairs. You can sit down on the, on the fog. You can take a book. You just ha- drop, uh, hang it in the air. Drop it. It just hangs there. The book itself may be real or it may be simulated. <laughs> it's just, Whatever it, it it can be really really crazy and and it's a lot of fun when the GM early understands what you can do with utility fog because anything is possible now you can just mess with people seriously you know where you know chairs disappear underneath them floors disappear suddenly you know they're you know it, it, it it's like walking through mud you know it's because the the utility fog is not letting you pass easily between you know the 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 billions of themselves. You know, they're whispering in your ears. <laughs> they're, they're blinding you. You know, they could just simply be go opaque over your eyes, and now you can't see anything, but you don't know why. And deliver electric shocks. Oh, well, that's, you could use it as a weapon, surely. There's a lot There's a lot of energy involved, and then that, and then that also comes back to where does the energy come from? You know, how are you, how are you managing this? You know, so again, it's, it's a super high-tech concept. But, you know, we're talking about, you know, high-tech solutions. So, all right. And so we, we talked about uh, aerial bases. We talked about, you know, bases on the ground, you know, in some of that stuff. Okay. Anybody want to talk about wa- waterborne bases? Hmm. Inflatable rafts. Now, that's how's that high-tech? Well, if it's made of, you know, indestructible rubber. Okay. I mean, the same materials that you could use to... F- float a you know aerial base well you know make it a little bit denser and it'll float just as well on water okay so what's the advantage of putting something on water if you're far out far out enough nobody's seeing you good it's it can be covert Mm -hmm. you know uh it gives you an opportunity to survey the land without actually going there you know it, it, it can be a base to go out exploring and then coming back and if you do it if you if your if your vehicles your exploration vehicles are amphibious and could go under the water, they won't even see them coming up out of the water until the, at the end. I mean, everyone's like, oh, you know, he says, where's their base? Well, let's see, they came from the west, you know, and we can we see all this, you know, we see them all coming towards us for the last hour. So I guess they're in that direction, but it, suddenly they just come up out of the water, then not so easy to tell. I mean, yeah, as long as you paint it the same color as the, as the sky, ain't nobody going to see it. The the upper part of it? Yeah. Keep it far enough. Or if you keep it far enough away, it doesn't matter what color you paint it, really. But, right. but yeah, and then, yeah, you just sneak in with a little submersible craft, look around, mm-hmm. collect some materials, sneak back. Okay. Travis? Hmm. Travis? Water base. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. I, I would think... Yeah, it'd, it'd have to either be some type of inflatable wrap where you could just move it around. I don't, uh, 
a mini aqua well some type of temporary ecology like an arcology but it's built totally underwater yeah um oh geez yeah i mean if you if you can have your base itself be underwater you have to worry about air but yeah you're you're even more hidden right well that would that would be something just like um you know a device you know that uh does vision and just okay you're using the hydrogen forever and oh oxygen good at least we have air from that yeah Right. Splitting water molecules, hydrogen to power a reactor or something or some other device, and the oxygen to provide air, and yep. you should be good to go. Yeah, most storms uh, don't do not go very far down underwater. I mean, you know, uh, storm surges like hurricanes they they lift the uh, lift the water up like ten feet. You know, so if you're like at the top of your uh, base is like twenty feet below. Uh, the surface, probably it'd be fine in any weather outside of a uh, 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 a tsunami, okay, assuming that you're in the shallows, all right, you know, except during, like I say, during those kind of a storm, it wouldn't be that hard to just, you know, pop up a, uh, uh, a watercolored buoy and uh, a snorkel and just keep the air going into your, your base and uh, use the the water cracking like they do in atomic submarines. That's how they get yeah. their air in those nuclear powered submarines. Is they take water and they break it out and they use the you know they throw the hydrogen away and they use the uh, oxygen you know to breathe. So certainly you'd be done that way. Pretty much just electrolysis at that point. Right, it, it's what it is. Because if you're going to do this, you're going to have a certain amount of supply and stuff like that. You know. And under worst case scenarios, you know, you just you know close things down and go up the surface. <laughs> you know, it's only twenty feet away. Oh, you can make it deeper, you know, and then you know really make people, which makes you a lot more protected because we don't go very far down. Our nuclear submarines don't only go down like a thousand feet, you know. So if you were to build a uh, base, an aquatic base that was far deeper than that, then you'd be fine. Poole Anderson wrote a series of novels about this this uh, crazy professor type who devised a force field that made pressure fight itself. So any ship, you could just put this device inside of it, and as long as they had to conduct a surface on the ship, it would create this field around it, and it would have you know surface normal pressure on the inside of the field you could go down to the bottom of marianas trench and you'd be fine it'd be cold down there but you wouldn't have any trouble with the pressure yeah i think the the maximum distance that sunlight can go down is about 300 feet that's the farthest that sunlight will penetrate through a large body of water and you know and what and you're you're losing all kinds of wavelengths as you do you're talking you know, at at the lowest level, all you're seeing is the deepest blues. Yeah. You're not seeing any red. Which or might orange. as well be black. Yeah. Yeah. You know, pretty close. That, yeah. Yeah. So it, it doesn't take going down very far before you're invisible anyways. Depending yeah. on whether you have external lights at all. That would be like, again, it would be like one of those bases that I'd like to build in orbit. And <laughs> yeah. just lower it into the water. Someone says, what? You know, do, do it during the nighttime. People say, what's that strange light in the sky? I don't know. It fell in the ocean. I guess it must have been a, you know, one of those those fiery, you know, messengers from God or whatever, you know. And anybody comes out and tries to find it, they, you know, they say unless they got something to go down deep enough, they're yeah. not going to find anything down there. Meanwhile, you're down there with your, you know, your little periscopes, you know, infrared and ultraviolet and such, and shining ultraviolet light up at them and sending your little uh, aquatic drones around. And saying, oh, hi, look at that. People are actually looking for us. I wonder how long that's going to take before they give up. And after they do, you just start sending your submersibles over to the shore and uh, start exploring. There was a game that just came out recently, I think maybe half a year ago, called Surviving the Abyss, which is all about building an underwater sea base like during the Cold War. Ooh, that sounds cool. Oh, okay. You You should give us that link. All right. Cool. Yeah. And, you know, of course, they can be made out of all those same materials that we talked about. You know, uh, you know, it can be made out of bucky tubes. It can be made out of walls of force. 
you know, whatever you have available to you that's like really strong and stuff like that, you know, the lift wood or whatever, all that, you know, that base can be made out of that. And of course, you know, because if you go down beyond a certain level, we still don't have the technology in today's world to really do, you know, build bases at, at any real depth. You know, the pre unless you're you're planning on on staying inside of a high pressure area to compensate for the pressure on the outside. Uh, and we're talking about, you know, you still, you, the furthest you can go down is 180 feet, because at that point, the nitrogen in the air becomes toxic. It's called, you know, nitrogen narcosis, right? Oh, and the bends, yeah, the bends. No, the bends, I'm I thought about the bends the was nitrogen narcosis. No, the bends is actually just atmosphere gases, like air, that, that dissolve into your bloodstream, into the, the your your blood fluid, Okay, and then if you're not careful, if you go up too quickly, they just boil out of it and cause embolisms and kill you, or get get caught into places like joints and cause tremendous amounts of pain. Now, you know that's why when you you go up from anything below 30 feet, you start having the the fear of the bends. Above 30 feet, it's not enough that you, you know your body just can't compensate for it. But below that, you have to basically stop. Get to like and and exercise usually to just try to you know move you know get the uh, get the extra oxygen out of your bloodstream you know as CO2 or whatever you know so that and then you can move up. If you're down hundreds of feet, it's a long process to do. And if you watch the movie The Abyss, that was one of their big problems was is that they said it, it's going to take us weeks to decompress from this depth that we're at because they had so much they were so far down you know, to be able to go back up to the surface. And then at the end, when all of a sudden they lift, you know, the aliens lift, spoilers, uh, the aliens uh, lift the uh, uh, the entire base up to the surface, and they go to say, uh, we didn't decompress. We should be dead right now. <laughs> yeah, we should be dead. Uh, we should have exploded. And uh, and they said, they, the aliens must have done something to us, you know. <laughs> Marianne uh, Mastriani just nods and says, yeah, they did something to us, all right. <laughs> so, well, in in, uh, uh, in Deep Star 6, that's exactly what happens. They one, uh, 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 Mel Farrar, uh, who's, who's basically more dangerous than the monster in that film, again, spoilers, uh, he decides to, like, just abandon the base on the bottom of the ocean and go up in this, this thing, but he doesn't go through the go through the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the decompression cycle. He just heads straight up to the surface and you literally see his face explode. <laughs> so he, he dies from doing it. We're all cheering. Yes, you killed like half the crew all by yourself by being stupid. So <laughs> it's one of the, it's one of those movies where, you know, like I said, the, the, the stupid people are more dangerous than the actual monsters. So. That's why I really, I really appreciated uh, the Aliens movies because they were considerably smarter than that. <laughs> but there were an awful lot of um, uh, a lot, awful lot of the big monster movies. That's that's what happens. There's some idiot who insists on doing things the right way or the way the way it is in the book. You know, and everyone's dying. They so. stick to procedure, and meanwhile, and this is another trope. The scientist, the wild-haired scientist who's constantly dropping his papers, they all realize about halfway, oh, maybe Dr. So-and-so was right after all. Too bad he was killed off because we didn't protect him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or the, the thing he needed in order to actually solve the problem is now on the other side of, uh, of the enemy that's now, you know, following them. Yeah. And now we're going to have to fire away through them to get that thing to finally solve the problem. Which of course is going to cause everybody else to die, <laughs> gloriously, uh, hopefully. Yes. Okay. So uh, yeah, underwater. Uh, underwater is a great way of being uh, covert if you can manage it, if you have the gear and of course the high tech to do it. And so we, high, I highly recommend it because I think, you know, I I grew up thinking that we were going to have underwater habitats, um, and the fact that we didn't. Is a is a it, you know makes me sad. <laughs> I bet you just love the Sequest series with Roy. Oh Shire yeah, back in the that's day. what I was oh, gonna yeah. say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I oh yes, I definitely. Oh no, you Sequest. you Bruce might remember the old was it Sea Hunt with Lloyd Bridges. 
Yes, but yeah, that, that didn't that. do that. But uh, but however, um, uh, a stingray, the Gary Anderson. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. had underwater cities that they went between and stuff. So yeah, so yeah. But Sea Hunt, uh, that uh, that was I, I was there. Is like you know, you know, years later, like I would plot myself in front of the reruns of Star Trek. I was plopping myself yeah. in front of the reruns of, of Sequest. Because that was like totally cool, and uh, yeah, so there's and and underwater stuff is really cool. And if you need some uh, uh, need some inspiration, uh, you know the latest uh, oh uh, Avatar movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Underwater. Yeah, caught glimpses of that. Yeah. Right. I mean, they they don't like have habitats under there, but they 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 live in communication with the water. You know, and such. So yeah, and um, so I, I, uh, I, I would say you know, and I have I have on a number of occasions in my adventures uh, put an underwater habit, especially post-apocalyptic. They were there. They're going around all these you know mutants and things like that, and all of a sudden this these these mantis-like creatures start rising up out of the water and start coming onto the beach, you know, and, and they're like, oh, the monsters, and of course, you know, they're they're people in underwater environmental suits, so <laughs> and they're the high-tech people. <laughs> Everybody else is living like you know the 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 the, the people in uh, uh, one. Mad Max, you know, uh, there's there's a lot of movies where it's really really bad. So yeah, where uh, and and frankly, um, Waterworld. I mean, the technology in Waterworld sucked. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, sort of you, the movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you're you're looking at the you know our 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 um, our navigator our um, that wasn't what he was called, uh, uh, and he's you know he's got like cool stuff like he. he he has a uh, uh, a, a trimare and uh, you know, three three pontoons, and he's got all kinds of pulley systems so that one man can actually control this entire boat that normally. Oh, the mariner. That's who. The mariner, a crew of like ten or so, and he's doing all these incredible, crazy things. He's got a gun. He's got guns on it and things like that. And uh, you know, and yes, he's he's fighting with the guys that are running running around on jet skis. So, yeah. Arguably, they're higher tech. Okay, but I'm just saying is, is that you know almost all of that you're like saying this is really 1960s technology here that you know this is the best they got left now and and it's you know and, and once the uh, uh, what once the big tanker runs out of oil. All, you know, all you're going to have left is wind power. So he yeah. was, he could have outlasted them. That, that was my biggest question about the movie. My biggest question about the movie, where'd they get the cigarettes? You see Dennis Hopper and all, and they're smoking away. And do, where'd yeah. they get all these cigarettes? What, they find a Marlboro plant, you know, that, you know, had an air pocket or something? I'm you like, know, where, if, where? If, <laughs> if they covered the whole top of the, uh, 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 of, of the stupid tanker with like, you know, little, little boxes with, you know, t- Tobacco plants growing in, then they could have you know, rationalized it. Right, but, but yeah, d- d- now, yeah, because you know the you know, they're going to eat fish. You know they're yeah, going to eat fish, yeah. so they're just you know so. And as it turned out, you know they 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 didn't uh, uh, the ship moved by ore power. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, folks. This is all going to be about spoilers. <laughs> so never mind. The movie came out twenty years ago. I think yeah, there's yeah, a yeah, limit yeah. for a while. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I am a big aficionado of bad movies. So, you know, I always find there's something good to say about almost any bad, so-called bad movie. Oh, so you're yeah. like a Smithy Award kind of guy in a resume. Yeah, I mean, okay, yeah. there's always going to be a, you know, uh, uh, there's always going to be a rose somewhere in that pile of uh, horse excrement. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you got to look for it. You got to, you got to, you know, you got to, got to. You gotta appreciate it. You know, Bruce Shepard, the ultimate optimist. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, you have to be a, a post-apocalyptic. Otherwise, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone says, "Oh, life is sucks." You know, like the 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 road. You know, which is a huge, really depressing movie to watch. Okay, but I'm just saying is that how much of an optimist are you? Do you have to be to keep going? 
You know, you yeah. got to believe that something's going to get better or otherwise it's, you got to do like the mom did in the beginning, which is just go out on a cold night and, and, and find a nice tree to sit next to. And, you know, she's gone on to meet her maker by morning. <laughs> so, but anyways, okay. So those are underwater habitats. Okay. Well, I mean, we could probably talk about this for another couple hours, but I think we're going to call this a close and say, you know, I hope you guys can see that, you, you know, there's no reason not to add tons of fun, ultra tech, super tech, whatever, magical tech to your games to solve solutions and help you survive in an environment where it's really very, you know, it's, 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 it's hazardous. And, uh, you know, and of course, I'm not going to uh, say the most obvious thing to the most hazardous environment or ones that have lots of people in it. But, <laughs> But, you know, what we were talking about, He's not now, wrong. You know, yeah, you know, uh, 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 whether it's a mountain mountainous terrain, whether it's the ocean and below the ocean, whether it's, a you know, uh, a airless planetoid, uh, a burning desert, you know, whatever, you know, uh, a, a necromantic filled ghoul laden, whatever. OK, there are high tech solutions out there that can save your bacon and uh, and make it fun to deal with them. And, you know, I know that in my Fringeworthy game, every week I try to get these guys to step up their game with their equipment and do more cool and fun stuff. Okay, and I hope that you will too in your own games, whether you create your own campaign, whether you're using 5e, Savage Worlds, any of the other games that are out there, there's lots of them. Make up your own game system, mix and match, you know, we want you to bring use bring the awesome of these games, these concepts to your table and just have fun with it, you know, and let us know what you did, because we want to see how awesome your game has become. We are at Fans of Gaming on the Frontier podcast on Facebook, Fringeworthy RPG fans on Facebook, Bureau 13 agents everywhere on Facebook. We are available at the Podbean site you're getting this from, tritechsystems.podbean.com. Please go to iTunes and leave a favorable five-star review for us. We are available via Spotify. Of course, me pretty much having the biggest, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to brag here. This is a fact. I got the biggest digital footprint out of the three of us. If you have questions with this, contact me, Facebook, Twitter, what have you. I'm not hard to find. And if I can't answer it, I will pass it along to my co-host to, you know, get this all figured out for you so you can plug this back into your game and bring awesome. All right. Yeah. And we'll have more for you next week, but you'll have to wait until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts, is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license, no commercial reproduction, and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.